Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Fantastic. Well, welcome everyone, uh, especially if you're joining online. Uh, I do apologise if you joined ever so slightly late and you saw Dan at the start of the service. Uh, that is one of the worst things I have ever seen, but that is fine. Uh, we're not going to be doing exorcisms this morning at church, um, and we're not going to be doing Taylor Swift either, so uh, it's a bit of a sad one. But what we are going to do is we're going to finish off our series um, on God's stories in the margins. Um, and we're finishing by coming back to the story of Gideon. Um, and now, just in case you've not been around, just to give you a little bit of context, um, the nation of Israel, which are, uh, you know, they're the good guys most of the time uh, in our uh, kind of pretty much the whole of our Old Testament. And they have a bit of a chaotic history. So if you chart their history, you see a bit of a theme that you could call a roller coaster ride. And so they have some very high highs where they're in a great place with God and all is good. They have some very, very low lows where everything's a bit of a disaster. And often those highs and those lows are kind of pitted against each other in quite close proximity. Um, And so you you literally pretty much get whiplash going through the Old Testament, seeing Israel up and down and up and down. They're prosperous and it's good and they're following God and they're, they're doing the right things and everything's great. And then they get a bit complacent and they think, okay, actually, we're doing all right on our own. We don't need God. And so we're just going to, we're going to chill for a bit. And then actually, you know, we'll go so far that we're going to push God away. We'll start worshipping idols. We'll do this. We'll do that. And then it all goes wrong. And they think, okay, we need God again. And they come back to God and the cycle starts again. And we see that over and over. Um, And in the book of Judges, we kind of see that same pattern as we always do. Uh, In Judges 5, uh, kind of verse 31 at the end, we see the land had rest for 40 years. So that was under the great leadership uh, and ministry of one of the judges whose name was Deborah. She was good. She was one of the good guys. She led well. Uh, She pointed people towards uh, God and it had a time of peace and prosperity. And I just wonder if any of you can just pause and think into your own life for a moment. And I know I can definitely relate to this. Have there been any times of actually everything's just okay? Things are going all right and maybe I'm a bit less on it with pushing into Jesus. You know, have you ever noticed that, oh, when I really need something, my prayer life is on fire. But actually, when everything's okay, actually, oh, I could make that prayer meeting, but I really need to get this work done this afternoon. Or I need to get this. Or, and we'd never say it. We'd never articulate it out loud. But we can settle into that. Actually, I don't really need anything from God at the minute. Oh, I could have a morning off from church because I'm really tired. And I think that there is where Israel have got to at the start of Judges chapter 6. They've got to that place of contentment where they're starting to think, we probably don't really need God that much, actually. They never say it, but they're all thinking it. Actually, this isn't that important at the minute. And then we get into Judges 6, which I think has been brilliantly done for us by, I think it was Andy, Mike and Vishal. If I've got that right. Did Judges 6 for us. Um, and we, we uh, introduced this character of Gideon. Uh, and Gideon's story carries on in Judges 7. Um, and so Dan is going to read that to us, if that's all right. But I just want you to picture as we're reading this, God is dealing with a nation that are continually up and down and up and down and at this point are getting back to that place of we probably don't need God that much do we we're probably okay by ourselves I think the reason going to come up on the screen and this is if you want to turn it to yourself on the phone or if you have your Bible version it's Judges 7 
verses 1 to 22. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Aaron. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. You didn't tell me there was big words. <laughs> um, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 men remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, this one will go with you, he shall go. If I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300, 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with these 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let the others go home. So Gideon said, sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay down below them in the valley. During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it to your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Purah, and listen to what they are saying. Afterwards, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Purah, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites, the Amakulites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled down in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could, be no, could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Josh, Joash the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars into the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, and then from all around the camp blow yours and shout, for the, for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the 300 men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars um, that were in their hands. The, the three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets that they were, they were to blow and shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the three hundred trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Bethshazzar towards Zariah, <laughs> as far as the border of Abel and Mahaloa near Tabath. Cheers.
need a moment to compose myself. <laughs> straight face, straight face. <laughs> Sorry, Dan, that was a long passage. I should have given you a heads up. Uh, and I'm actually, cruelly, I'm only going to talk about one verse, so I apologise for making you read all that. But that's absolutely fine. Um, so the passage that we've just read... Um, straight face, we're back in the room. Uh, Gideon is up against 135,000 Midianites. Now that number's not in that passage, but it's in the next chapter. Um, and we know that Gideon has just 32,000 men. And I just want you to put yourself in Gideon's shoes for a moment, okay? I would definitely be saying, hold on a minute, God. We are already outnumbered four to one, and you are saying I have got too many men. I don't think I quite agree there. Um, 135,000 against 32. But actually, um, Gideon sort of learned some lessons from the passages that we've had preached on in previous weeks. So he says, OK, I'm going to go with it. I'll go with your instructions, God. I'll get rid of all the people who are scared. All the people who are scared, that's 22,000 gone. Bang, we've got 10,000 left. OK, 13 and a half to one. It's still not great odds. And I think at that point, when God say, no, you've still got too many, I would be a bit... Um, sure you've thought this through, God? Are you sure you really know what you're doing? Do you understand maths? Do you need some help? Like, that's probably where my head would be. Uh, but God says, no, there's actually, there's too many people. And he says to split them in the weirdest way possible by who laps at water and who cups their hands. Now, I don't know if you've ever drank from a stream. Please don't do it in Manchester. I imagine that's pretty grim. Um, but if you're out somewhere like the Lake District, somewhere nice, there is only really one way to drink from a stream. We all know this. You cup your hands and you do this. It's not really the point of the sermon, but it just baffles me that 9,700 of them get it wrong. Um, I don't really how you do that, but they did that and that's fine. Um, so 300 are left. Now, for those of you who love the maths, it's 450 to 1 are our current odds. And I would be looking, thinking, when my life is on the line here, I do not like those odds. That's probably where I would be. But God was insistent that the army would get smaller and smaller and smaller. And I think the only question I want us to ask this morning is why did God want that army so small? Um, and this passage is a bit of a preacher's dream, I'm not going to lie, uh, because it gives us the answer in black and white. I don't have to do any work at all this morning. I just want us to look at verse 2, if that's okay, which is going to appear um, on the screen behind me. Um, and verse 2 essentially gives us the answer to why God wanted the army so small. It's because Israel was going to boast that they could do it by themselves. God knew 100%. Actually, if you go in here, even with your 32,000 men, four to one, yeah, they're not great odds, but actually, you could maybe swing that that was you who did it. 13 to one, mm, it's difficult, but you could maybe swing. Actually, we're really powerful warriors. We have absolutely nailed this. Look at us. Actually, God wanted to be crystal clear. You have too many men because you're going to boast about this being to do with you. And there is this really interesting principle that sort of weaves its way all the way through scripture from beginning to end. We see God has a theme of inviting and calling people that he can shine through. Not the people that necessarily have it all together. That are sorted, that are the great Christians. We all know them. You know, God does not call people who have it all together, but he calls people who understand that actually they don't have it all together. And they understand that they need God to be used, that they can't do it in their own strength. And this is the, the principle, the only principle, really, I think we need to just wrap our hearts and our minds around this morning, that God demonstrates his strength through our weakness. Okay, 
God demonstrates his strength through all weakness, and that is why he wanted Gideon at his weakest. You know, we see it time and time again. Look at some of the other leaders of Israel. We know Moses. Moses leads people out of Egypt. He's got loads of films about him now. He is the big man. But actually, if you read the story of Moses, his claim throughout that whole time is, God, I'm not good enough. God, I'm a murderer. God, I'm weak. God, I've got a stutter. I physically cannot do this. Actually, you know, go get Aaron. Get Aaron. He can come and help me because I can't do this by myself. That's Moses' cry the whole time. Um, We look at David, who is, is arguably probably the greatest king the nation of Israel ever has. And David's own dad didn't think he was good enough to be put up for selection. You know, when they're all um, in front of uh, Samuel, uh, all the brothers, and David's actually just off making cups of tea for all his brothers because his dad didn't even think he was worthy of sticking into that lineup. That's who God chooses to use. And so my question this morning is just why is it? Why is it that weakness is good? God clearly wants to use the weak, not the strong, but why? And I think the conclusion I've reached from this passage is that it seems to be in God's economy, you can be too big for God to use you. You can make it all about you. Your ego can be too big. You can have too much of your own comfort and your own strength for God to use you. That is possible. We see that. But it is impossible to be too small for God to use you. It is possible to be too big for God to use you, but it is impossible to be too small for God to use you. And I think sometimes in church, we can forget that and we can have a bit of a tendency, can't we, uh, to say strong is better. I want to work within my gifts and what I feel like are my strengths. And when we work, you know, we want to see gifted people. Oh, you know, Tom, you're a gifted preacher. I want to hear Tom preach. That's what I want. I don't want to hear someone who stands there and goes, because I want to get Tom's goodness. Sorry, Tom, just pick you on the spot in front of everyone. You know, we want the strength. We want the gifts. But actually, more often than not, I think the Bible embraces a principle of saying God wants the small, the broken, the people who accept their weakness and say, I'm not going to do this in my own strength because my strength isn't enough. And so my only option, God, is to depend on you and your strength. I think I will often try and make excuses around my weaknesses. I'll try and hide my weaknesses because I don't want you all to see it. I don't want you all to see the areas of my life that I'm a complete failure. Um, And I am always really uh, challenged by the words that Paul responds to. So in um, 2 Corinthians, Paul, he's an apostle, he's a leader, he's set a church up. And some other people have kind of turned up on the scene, other kind of apostles. And they basically said, look, we're better leaders than Paul. You know, we're better preachers. We can, you know, organise the tech rotor in a better way than Paul can. We can do this and we can do that and all this stuff that Paul can't do. And Paul's response is to say this. He says, if I'm going to boast, I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast of the things that show my weaknesses. Why? Because I want people to see Jesus and not me. That's why I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. The strongest and safest and most content place that any of us can be is in Jesus. Full stop. He is the creator of every cell in your body. He's the one who flung stars into space. He is going to be the same yesterday, today and forever. And he is that same God who gave himself to die for you. That sounds like a much stronger foundation than my life I'm not going to lie and that's why weakness is good because it makes us depend not on ourselves but more on God uh, now I can't actually believe I'm about to use a conservative party slogan in a sermon uh, please don't judge me uh, but do you remember when Theresa May was prime minister and she had that um, slogan she tried to use the strong and stable 
slogan. And I imagine politically it's probably a pretty smart move because inside as humans all of us kind of crave strength and stability. That's what we want. And so she's trying to tap into all our deep-seated desires. Um, and she had this um, slogan of strong and stable. And I think as it transpired, things weren't all that strong and stable and ended up quite, as Twitter loved to put it, weak and wobbly, uh, which was the new hashtag. Now, that's a, not a political comment. It is just a comment on any human institutions that we put into place. Any time that we think, actually, James Adams' career or political organisation, the friends that we have, any time that we put our foundation into something of this world that is weak and wobbly by definition. And so when our foundation and our contentment and our hope is in those things, we are setting ourselves up for a fall. There is only one strong and stable place to put our hope, our contentment, our joy, our happiness, our foundations. There is only one place for that. Let's just look again at verse 2, which is still up there. Um, The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. And that word boast there, I I, I think, is probably the, the crux of the whole passage that we're looking at. God desperately doesn't want them to win the victory in their own strength, because he knows actually it will end up as a defeat. If they win the victory in their own strength, it will only serve the purpose to push them further away from God. And by definition, that is a defeat. You know, obviously, God is a jealous God and he deserves the glory. That is a point by itself. But also, he's not just trying to show off. He's not just trying to make him about him. Actually, he loves us. And he knows what is best for us, even when we don't. God knows the fact that if they win this victory in their own right, it's going to push them further away from him. And that is the worst thing possible that they could go through. And so what he does is he teaches us lessons. And with the the nation of Israel, he brings them low to subdue their pride, to make sure that they are crystal clear on who has won that victory. Because they've got that tendency, remember, they've got that tendency of going up and down and up and down and thinking, actually, things are okay at the minute. We don't need God. Yeah, I'll turn up to church, but I don't really need to push into Jesus at the minute because everything's okay. But I'm really glad that we're different. You know, that makes me really happy. I'm really glad that we're different and we never get complacent. That makes me feel really good. You know, it makes me feel really good that I never have cycles of prayer in my life where I'm absolutely on fire when I need something and I'm praying like there is no tomorrow and then actually things are okay and I'm like, oh, actually, I just need to get this work done. I need to go and see such and such. And that never happens to me at all. Absolutely never. I don't know about you. Um, what I want to do is, it's a bit cheesy, but I want to show you a quick YouTube clip, if that's all right, Anoush. Um, we're just going to watch this because I think it illustrates the point an awful lot better than I ever could. Um, and so we're just going to watch a quick clip. Take my word for it, there's a moral to this story. Yeah, it looked like a coronation for Tanche Pepio. He's getting the crowd, he wants the crowd to cheer his performance, and at the end he gets pipped. He gets pipped by Marin Simon of Washington. And you just can't do this kind of stuff, Lewis. You can if you go, you see his face. And you know, no one has to say anything. They don't have to explain it to him. He'll never make that mistake again. I said it was very quick. Now, YouTube is full of that sort of thing. I love it. I love those compilations of people who've absolutely failed and you're like, yeah, you're an idiot. Um, 
But let's be honest, all of us in that room sat there and we watched that guy and we thought, what an idiot. What an absolute class one fool. Why on earth would you do that? Why would you big yourself up when you're like 20 metres from the finish? Just finish the race, pal. That's all you need to do. Finish the race and you can celebrate as much as you want. It's not hard. Just finish. And all of us are sat there watching him thinking, what an absolute idiot. Yeah? I won't make you put your hands up, but I know that's what you're all thinking. Uh, you, like me, judge that man massively. And I saw that clip and I just thought, actually, it's probably a perfect analogy. Because God is sat somewhere up in the control room of YouTube looking at the, the clip of James Adams's life, the YouTube clip of my life. And he's saying, James, what are you doing? You started out on this race running after me and then maybe you didn't go around doing that, but actually you slowed up because you wanted to, you know, look at your job for a while. That needs to be a priority for a little bit, doesn't it? And then you slowed up because you were looking at the things that you want and your plans and you completely stopped just powering through on the race. All you needed to do was run your race, get to the end, and then you can celebrate with me for all eternity in heaven. James, you absolute idiot. Why would you do that? And we, we stop and we pause because we think, oh, it's great, let's get the crowd going. Or actually, we stop and we pause because actually, I just need to get this work sorted at the minute. This needs to be the priority. Oh, actually, this other area of my life is a priority. God can just pause for a little bit. I'm fine, I'm going to get the victory. And then you're pipped. And actually, we miss out on the true victory that is running our race with Jesus step by step, living life and life in all its fullness in him. This is what God is saying. He's saying pride that elevates you is going to destroy you. There is a way to win victories in this life that actually is a defeat. There is a way to win a victory and everything to go well, but actually for it to push us away from God. And that is a thousand times worse. And God is saying, I do not want that for you. That is why scripture teaches probably more than anything else. God hates pride. Because one, it robs him of his glory, but two, it robs us of our joy. It robs him of his glory and it robs us of our joy because it puts us on that up, down, up, down, up, down where we never find that peace and that contentment in him. And so our question is, how do we do it? How do we give our weaknesses um, over to God? How do we live in his strength? How do we experience that joy and that fullness that he promises us? And I think there is just one answer to this question. It's a very simple sermon today. One answer, and that is increasing our dependency. Reminding ourselves of how much we need God. Because, you know, when you think about it, even our strengths aren't really strengths in comparison to God. There's things that maybe I think, you know what, I'm okay. At. Let's say it's preaching. Let's say I think, I'm not a bad preacher. But no one is going to go to heaven and they've got option of James Adams on stage one or Jesus on stage two. And they go, yeah, I want to listen to James Adams. Yeah, let's go. Come on, let's all line up. That is never going to happen in a million years. Let's be honest. And so even the stuff that I think, maybe I'm okay at that. That's not a weakness of mine. Actually, it is a weakness. Absolutely, it is. Unless any of you would choose James Adams over Jesus, in which case you've got a major problem. But that is okay. <laughs> and so even my strengths are not my strengths. They're my weaknesses. And so I think operating from a position of weakness is actually just about operating from a position of honesty. It is just good self-reflection of who we are in light of the creator of the universe. 
It's a, a bit of an interesting tangent, not quite the same, but uh, Paul, who we've already referenced, the kind of writer of most of the New Testament, talks often about, well, talks often, talks about how he had a thorn in his flesh. Uh, and he, he describes how he prayed for God to take this thorn away. We don't know what it is. It might be some sort of impediment, an illness. We're not quite sure. Um, and, and he prayed to God to take this away, and God doesn't take it away. And Paul, in, uh, I think it's... Um, can't remember where it is now which is horrendous but Paul essentially is self-reflecting when he's talking about this and he's reflecting actually why why is it that I've got this fall in my flesh and he kind of comes to this conclusion that actually maybe I would be susceptible to kind of being a bit arrogant and a bit cocky and puffing myself up and maybe actually it's possible that that phone is there to stop me getting too puffed up That's Paul's self-reflection. And what he starts to maybe reflect on is that it's more important for God not to give him a comfortable life, not to give him the comfortable experience. But actually, it's more important for God that he learns to draw close to Jesus and depend in Jesus. I think sometimes I want the comfortable path. I want the easy life. I want to fight my battle with 32,000 men, not 300 men. That's what I want because it's easier, it's more comfortable. But actually, I don't always know what's best for me. And maybe I want the easy and the comfort at the expense of something so much better. My life and my relationship with Jesus. And so it's a bit tangential, but I think it's important to touch on when we're talking about weaknesses. I cannot stand here this morning and tell you why we face certain trials or difficult periods or, or, or times that bring us to our knees and make us weak. I can't give you the answer to why from our perspective some prayers are answered and from our perspective some prayers aren't answered. I can't give you the answer to that, but I can say with confidence that drawing closer to Jesus and letting his power work through us, recognising our weaknesses, recognising our strength is enough and falling onto him, I can promise you that is the best way to live. And so while I can't give you to the answers of why life is difficult sometimes, I can promise you that walking it with Jesus is the best way to do that. And kind of like a, a parent of a small child uh, or a parent of a 28-year-old who still doesn't learn his lessons, sometimes you just have to let them learn it for themselves. And that's the position God is in, that he loves us and he wants us to learn the most important lesson above all other lessons that drawing into him is the place to be. And so as a church, I think we probably need to get a little bit better about being honest about these things. You know, you don't need to pretend like things are okay if they're not. I think one of the things that I've, I've really learned is that honesty opens people up. When I'm honest with people about my flaws and where I'm struggling, actually that opens me up to receive from them and for them to minister to me. But there's also this incredible thing that actually when we're honest with each other and when we're vulnerable then that gives an opportunity for someone else to be vulnerable and for us to minister to them. I'm sure none of you have ever had an experience where someone really ministered to you and said something that changed your life by coming and saying, actually, I'm perfect. I've got this all together. I know how to do this step by step. Let me tell you what to do, bish, bash, bosh. I can imagine those experiences in your life are few and far between. But I imagine many of you can relate to the fact that it's probably through those conversations where actually you realise someone else is broken and they've depended on Jesus, and they've rested in Jesus, and they've worked through that, not through their own strength, but in Jesus. That's how God uses the broken vessels. I love the way that um, 
Rick Warren puts it, he says, other people are going to find healing in your wounds. Your greatest life messages and your greatest ministry will come out of your deepest hurts. If we cover those and pretend we're okay and we got this, uh, I think I've paraphrased that bit, uh, then we prevent the strength of God from flowing through us. You know, essentially, if we just make it about showing the face, showing that we're good questions, actually, I'm not sinning. I have no doubts. I have no guilt. All we're doing is we're stopping God's power flowing through us. And so with Gideon, God strips everything back. He strips absolutely everything back to make it crystal clear to Gideon that it is not his strength that he is working in. Gideon had to become aware of his weakness before he could let God shine. And I think that's our lesson for the morning. We've just got to be willing to say, I don't have it all together. Hi everyone, I'm James. This isn't Alcoholics Anonymous, but I am imperfect. I sin. I struggle with sin. I struggle with doubt and guilt. And actually sometimes those things have their claws in me. And I just hear God kind of uh, almost listening to us as a church doing that and saying, okay, great, now I can work. Now you've got out of your own way, James. You've got your ego out of the way. You've got the fact that you want to look good in front of everyone out of the way. I can say, right, come on, let's deal with this now. Not in your own weak and wobbly strength, but actually I will bring my strength and my power. Let's address these areas. Let's heal these areas. Let's help you walk towards me and towards me and towards me. And so I just want to leave you a bit this morning, really, with saying it's okay to not be okay. Because I think when we acknowledge that, what we're doing is we say, I've got enough confidence and enough trust in the fact that Jesus is okay and that his grace is sufficient for me. And so actually, I don't need to have all my sin together and be the perfect person. I just need to depend on him. It is okay to not be okay because what we're doing when we say that is I've got enough trust and confidence in Jesus that he is okay and he is enough that I don't need that facade of I've got it together because I'm just dependent on him. And when we do that, we find that joy, that contentment that he promises of, of living our life and life in all its fullness because actually it's not about the ups and downs of our lives, it's about the constant that is him. And we also get ourselves out of the way to let him shine through, let him to minister to other people, that they see the broken vessel that is James Adams and they're pointed towards Jesus. So that's this morning, really. Being weak isn't about false humility or self-deprecation. It is just about being honest. It is just about recognising the scale of me and God and setting into my natural place within that. It's just acknowledging who we are in the context of the creator of all things. And I think if we do that, I am convinced God is going to use more weak people in CCM for his glory. And I'm really excited about that. And so the band are going to come back up. Um, and I just want to close up with some words that I've stolen from the hymn uh, In Christ Alone. I imagine it's one a lot of you will be familiar with. Uh, and it just says these words. It says, I will not boast in anything, no strength, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. And I think that's, that's our message from Gideon. That's it in a nutshell, in a line. I'm not going to boast in anything about me because it is weak and wobbly. And I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure my victories are not victories I put in my own strength and boast about me. What I am going to do is I'm going to boast in this, that God is sufficient, that his grace is enough, that his power is so much greater than mine, and that when I boast in my weakness, people will see him and not me. Amen? Amen. Amen.